my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hi, I'm Sam Edis. And I'm Amy Nelson. Welcome to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. This is a show about the world's most remarkable women, their professional and personal journeys. Together, we'll hear from gold medalists, best-selling authors, and leaders of the world's most iconic brands. This week, we're so excited to welcome Sharon McGuire. She is a British television and film director, including some fan favorites like Bridget Jones' Diary and Godmothered. And Sam, she's the first Brit on our show. (laughs) Welcome, Sharon. We are so excited to talk to you today. Congratulations on your new film. And I think before we talk about that, Amy and I were, were talking yesterday about you, and one of the most remarkable things is that there just aren't a lot of women directors, especially of blockbuster films in Hollywood. What made you become one of them? Well, it was sort of by accident, really. You know, I, I think uh, I can only say my training and my desire to do it were because I we have a, a show here called The Royal Family. It's like a sitcom called The Royal Family, where, where the whole family are, you know, they're working class and they sit and watch TV all day and that's how they communicate with each other. Well, that was my life. So um, for me, the one thing I loved were commercials and shows on TV. So I knew that's what I wanted to do. 
And so I just tried and tried and tried. Well, tell us about the part where you tried and tried and tried. So um, I tried and tried and tried and tried. I first went into publishing. So that was after university, I went into publishing. And, um, and so I guess the link is story. You know, it was always about stories, you know, publishing is all about stories. And um, from publishing, I thought, well, I want to kind of be able to tell stories. So I, I will either write or I will try and get into directing in some fashion. And so I went from there into television and going into television documentaries was not easy. I just had to keep applying and applying and applying to the BBC. And I got turned down, I think. I don't know, probably more than 50 times. Um, wow. Until eventually I just decided to leave publishing for a year and do a journalism degree. And um, I, it was a broadcast journalism degree. So I went back to school and borrowed money to do that course. And part the reason being part of the course was that you, after the first term or the first semester, um, you go to uh, a, a TV station and uh, have have a time there. You know, you have a sort of internship there. So that was the reason I did it. And and after that internship, I got offered a job. So um, um, at Channel Four in documentaries. And then I was doing the course and I was doing the TV job, and it was all nuts for a while. And and that's how I got broke into TV. Well, you know, knowing that you tried 50 times, it was at five zero 50 times? Uh, I applied for so many jobs in the BBC and I couldn't get arrested. What was it in you that made you keep on going after you kept getting rejected? Because that's just what's so rare. And I think so many of our listeners can relate to that feeling of, I really want something, but they don't seem to want me. But most people give up before the 50th time or even before the fifth. What was it about you? Uh, I don't know. I wanted to tell stories. I think that was it. I love stories. As I say, I, that, that's the kind of link throughout my career, if you like. Uh, I, that's the thing I found. I wanted to tell stories and I was going to find a way to do it. What was your life like in those early years at Channel 4? Like we often don't talk about kind of like the, the grit and the hours that we put in behind the scenes. Yeah, it was really, really hard. And I, I kind of have come from that. I think I come from that kind of Irish Catholic background that culture where if you just work like a trojan you know the rewards will come and i definitely come from from that place so i was working hours and hours and hours and trying to um go above and beyond to prove myself that you know i won't let you down if you just give me a chance to direct this i won't let you down so i probably that mentality really but it was many many hours and you know i i guess you know, one of the things was I didn't really get to become a mother until I was 40. So, you know, I put career came first, really. You know, that's partly, I mean, we don't want to go into this sort of stuff, but I think that's partly my, my mother was a mother of four and she, was, she wasn't big on motherhood. Let's put it that way. She's great mother, but she, she never encouraged us to be married or to get pregnant soon. She said, live your life, live your life. So I guess I lived a lot of life. So much of it is intertwined, right? And the fact that you had a mom that didn't focus you on the white dress from a young age is probably what allowed you to be so professionally successful and have both a family and a profession you loved. But what was, when you say your mom wasn't, you know, didn't encourage all of you, what happened to your siblings? What ended up happening to their trajectories? 
I've got one brother and three, uh, two sisters, and um, none of us got married until late. You know, none of us did that. And, and none of us had children until we were in our 40s. So mum's influence was quite great, really. So, uh, and she really wanted us, you know, her idea of like to be, to have a career was to be a teacher you know that's what because I think that's what she would have wanted to do she was a you know a mum of four and a, a housewife and although as I say really brilliant at it I don't think it was her first choice you know so I think she wanted us to be teachers and one of them did indeed become a teacher one of my sisters did become a teacher and is a headmistress she lived that dream um, but I I tried teaching before I went into publishing I tried it and thought no when I finally got to the BBC she was just delighted you know that that for her was well okay if you're not going to teach that's it the BBC was was it she still can't understand why I don't work there you know why I I, (laughs) she doesn't understand the whole idea of freelance and that sort of thing that they don't give you jobs for life anymore you know so she just doesn't understand why I don't still work there so we talked about, you know, your mother's influence, but when you were at the BBC, what was the influence around the people you worked with? I mean, did, did you see other women there who were having kids and going forward in their career or did you not? Yeah, interesting. I think there were some who, you know, had children, but it was kind of rare, really, you know, because it was a time when everybody in the BBC, there were no jobs for life anymore. So everything was freelance. And and so I think people thought, well, you know, I can't risk not having a job and trying to bring up the kids at the same time. So there were lots of fierce career women there. So, um, yeah, uh, so absolutely, there wasn't much of having children. And, I, I, you know, until you've just said that now, I didn't think that was odd. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Kind yeah. of odd that I, it wasn't that environment, but it should have been, right? Because we were all in our you know, late 20s, 30s, but we were thinking, no, you don't do that for a, a while back, you know. I was a litigator before I started my own company and I worked in New York and there were so few mothers who were in partnership or in leadership. And it really, it was interesting to see. Yeah. And I, I think I probably wouldn't have understood, now that I am a mother and I am trying to sort of do a job and raise children at the same time, I kind of think, I'm thinking, why don't people understand how difficult this is? <laughs> but I don't know if I'd have been understanding at the time, not having children, you know, when I was in the BBC, uh, about, you know, what those women were going through, the ones who did, the, the two or three that had children. I don't know. You know, maybe I wouldn't have been sympathetic because how, how hard can it be? I'd have thought, you know, didn't realise that's the hardest job of all. <laughs> and now for a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. 
LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what was uh, your journey to motherhood when you turned 40? I think I picked every commitment phobe in London, really, and, um, <laughs> and thought, well, and I also didn't really have an urge to be a mother, you know, uh -huh. until, I, until I got pregnant, until I had a child, that's when my maternal instincts kicked in. And then I thought, well, now I've left it too late. You know, I want 10 of them because I come from Irish <laughs> Catholic stock, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't, I needed, I needed a man, I thought, to, um, 
you know, now it's funny enough, or now I'm writing a, a project based on a, on a memoir about somebody who decided I'm not going to go the man route. I'm going to go the sperm donor route. So that's what you would do now. But back then, the sperm donor thing wasn't so much of a thing. And I, I to be honest, I'd have been a bit scared about trying to be a, a single mom like lots of my friends are now. I don't think I felt I could manage that. Right. Now there's a bigger community of, of women yes. that are experiencing that. So they have each other as a village. What was the path to Bridget Jones? The company who had um, a wonderful company who had the rights to it, you know, had asked a, a lot of other directors who either didn't chime to it or weren't available at the time. And because I was, I was probably last on their list to be, I'll be honest, because I was a commercials director and a documentary director. I hadn't done a movie. So understandably wow. they weren't going to. And um, I think they were sort of going to put it on the back burner um, for, a, for a while because they, they couldn't, until Helen Fielding who wrote the book and she was a, she's a friend of mine, so nepotism does work, uh, introduced <laughs> me to them and said, this is my friend Chaz, she's in the book and she will know, you know, what this story is about and how to bring it to the screen. You should talk to her. So they did talk to me and they said, well, look, we might think of giving you a chance. You've never done a movie, but we think of giving you a chance if, you know, we're going to spend about $2 million on this. So it'll be a sort of indie gorilla style movie. So, you know, just don't F it up was the exact words. <laughs> so, um, and so I thought, well, I'll, I, you know, this is a great break. I won't, I'll, I will try not to yeah. F it up. So, um, but as the development went on, you know, I knew that uh, Hugh Grant, that one of the characters in it was slightly based on Hugh Grant. And I was working within the company who sort of launched Hugh Grant in this country into a huge time huge time and um i said can't we send it to him? you know can't we just send it to him just to see and so once hugh became part of that puzzle um then it's it swelled up into a much bigger project when they told you not to f it up they didn't know that you had applied to over 50 jobs at bbc exactly they picked the right person although that's what i was going to say is it's not nepotism because helen fielding knew that she was dealing with someone who would work her ass off so that is not nepotism that's character and that's women supporting women too, which is exactly. so important. Which yes. is great. And she also knew that I knew the story, you know. Well, can you back up to the story? You said that you were in the story. What does that mean? So the one of the characters in Bridget Jones' diary novel is called Shazza, which is based partly on me. I mean, there are two characters. Her two best friends are Jude and Shazza, which are based pretty much on myself and my friend Tracy. And we were a kind of interesting little threesome hanging around London in our thirties, um, in the nineties and, and sort of behaving like we were 16, even though everybody else was married with kids, I, I guess, you know, and we were not conforming to that convention, if you like. I, I mean, I think when they offered me the job, I was probably crapping myself, but I kind of thought, <laughs> Somewhere inside myself, I know I am the right person to do this because I know this world inside out. I've lived this world. But yes, I mean, it was still it was still scary. And you mentioned a bit earlier that you you kind of stepped away when you had kids. What was what was that like? What was that decision like? Did you miss the work? Yes, I did miss the work. I mean, I was I was all over the place. You know, I thought I want to have children. And kind of my desire to have children was out of 
well, look, if I don't do this soon, I'll never know what this is like, rather than, and it pains me to have to confess this, it wasn't, I want a child, I want to bring a child into the world, it wasn't that, you know. Um, so I thought if I don't do this soon, I, I'm gonna, I, I may live to regret it, I don't know, so I need to get on with it. So um, I thought that in order to do that, because I was, you know, 39, 40, I'm gonna have to step away and concentrate <laughs> quite hard on this because it wasn't just happening. And, and when you when you're doing a movie, you can't you know, you can't sign up to a movie and then leave to have a baby, you know, mm -hmm. so it, it was a sort of one decision or, or another. So I sort of stepped away to try and have the babies. And the first one was quite easy to have, you know, the second one was kind of science fiction. You know, because, you know, a few years had gone on and things weren't as easy as as you hope they will be. But I did finally produce two boys um, so uh, who are now 11 and uh, 16. How did you choose to work on the new Disney Plus movie Godmothered? Well, it was very nice to receive a project from Disney. I have to say that, you know, because Disney are Disney. You know, so and I always and I and I thought I want to make a I want to make a PG movie. I want to make a movie that's aimed at kids and family. And I want to make a movie for Christmas. And and then when it, when that comes in the shape of a Disney project for Christmas or for holidays, um, I thought, well, that, that's great. You know, that's they do that and they do that really well. So, you know, they're blue chip. They're like the BBC. So your mom was proud. She's still alive, but she's now got dementia. So, so I don't think she understands, but I know uh, on, at Christmas she'll be watching it, which was one of the other reasons I wanted to do it was because at Christmas around here, I have a 93 year old mom. I have an 11 year old, a 16 year old and a few ages in between. And so I wanted to do a movie that we could we could all watch. And the holiday times, you know, because we always watch the same ones. It's either Elf or Groundhog Day or Enchant, those three. And I wanted to be able to say, well, this year I've made one for us. And talking about Godmother, I had one other question about that that I thought was really interesting because it kind of takes the notion of the fairy tale and turns it on its head. Yeah, well, I mean, that was that was one of the attractive things about the movie, you know, that it it took all those tropes, those wonderful Disney tropes. Happily Ever After doesn't necessarily mean wedding bells and, and, and wedding gowns. It means, you know, being included in society for who you are, being accepted for who you are. Um, and that love can be that, you know, love and romance can be a different type of love. It can be familial love. It can be the love between a same-sex couple. It can be, you know, the love of a grandchild for its grandparent, you know. So I love that message. And I thought that was quite brave of Disney to want to make a movie that that did that. But yeah, I, I am constantly, as a mother, you know you're constantly trying to, you know, gauge who your children are going to turn out to be. And you don't, and I'm very wary of not cornering them. I think that's that's the goal, right? Is not to pigeonhole them into what you think they are or to label them. In terms of, of Hollywood, it's obviously so refreshing to see Hollywood changing its content and, and making it more reflective of the world and the times. Do you think things have gotten easier for female directors? I do think it's obviously very still very depressing that there are, I think, 7% of the directors uh, in doing the sort of top 100 movies or whatever are female, only 7%. And I think I read this statistic that there are of 20% of the people involved in 
in all the movies in the top 150 movies last year, 2019, only 20% were women. That's in screenwriting, producing, directing, everything, which I don't understand. I don't understand why, because I mean, yes, I mean, Hollywood and movies tend to go on a template of what's been successful in the past. And if a man has done it and a man has done it that way, then they'll employ a man. But I, I don't understand why there aren't more females working in directing and in all aspects of filmmaking. As I say, I guess it's, it's beginning to turn around. I felt there was a change after Me Too. I mean, when you look at sort of the women who are directing, there's a director like Anne Fletcher, you know, who does all those amazing big, she's probably made millions more than most of the men who are out there directing in terms of box office. You know, I, I, I don't see why somebody like she wouldn't be offered the Bond movie, for instance, you know, it's just, I don't know. I think things are changing, but they're changing very slowly. And now for a quick break. This is Neil Strauss host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because, God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if you, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. 
Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for our lightning round, and I will let Amy kick it off. What are you reading right now? Oh, I'm reading. Let me see. I've got it here. It's a book called An Excellent Choice, and it's about um, uh, she's a Guardian journalist, and it's about her journey, her complicated journey to motherhood, strangely enough. So um, uh, and um, it's, it's quite a funny quite a funny memoir of a of about a journalist who goes from the UK to live in New York. I'm trying to adapt it at the moment. And what is your morning routine like? My morning routine. I'm not much of a morning person. I'm a, a kind of late night person. I, I, I'm a terrible insomniac. So, um, but so mornings are, you know, it's like being born all over again. I kind of don't want anyone really to speak to me until they really have to. <laughs> so, um, um, and, and I've had to give up drinking, you know, a triple espresso first thing because my stomach can't take it. So um, I've had to go start drinking turmeric and ginger tea in the morning. And, um, and then once, the, once I get the one caffeine of the day, things pick up, you know. What's your one tip to manage working from home? Oh, working from home. I'm not that successful at it, to be honest. I really do have to try and be very, very disciplined, but it, it doesn't usually work. And especially after I've just done a movie, I kind of think, oh, you know, I've, I need time off now, you know, and I give myself too much time off. Um, and then I'll go for a run and then I'll go for another run and then I'll, I'll find anything not to write. Um, but to try and work at home, I guess, you know, make it nice, make it nice. I like, I like, uh, I like to fire, you know, I've got a little fire here. So I light a fire with logs and, you know, I don't know, put a blanket on and just make it nice, put nice music on. I'll do some yoga. I'll stop to do some mm -hmm. yoga, that sort of thing, you know, try and try and treat myself a bit. So Amy, I get so excited when we talk to someone like this who has this unexpected kind of gem of a story, which is, I mean, the ambition she showed when she was early on in her career is why she's successful today. I mean, that's what's given her the choices she has today. 
I know, and it isn't just that she heard no dozens and dozens and dozens of times. She found a different way in, right? Like she's like, if I can't get in by just applying to these jobs, I'm going to this program at the university that offers an internship and I'm getting in that way. And I think that is a lesson for all of us, right? To find different ways to get through the door when the handle isn't working the first time. Well, and it's funny because even our podcast, I feel like our job is to pluck those people out of every industry and interview them. Like I want to hear mm-hmm. her story. I want to hear stories of people like that. And I just find it so inspirational. It's like, how many no's does it take to get that yes? And you only need one yes. I agree. One thing I also love that we talked about, which is completely different, is that she became a mother so much later in her life. And I think, you know, I don't know, Sam, I know you grew up in New York, but I grew up in the Midwest. And I think almost all of my best friends growing up were married before we turned 30. I wasn't. And I very much felt like, oh my gosh, I'm so old, which is ridiculous. There's this sense, right, of, of for, for girls and young women growing up that, you, you know, you need to probably get married younger, have babies and figure out your career along the way. And there's not one answer to this, right? You could have this incredible career. And if, if, if it works that way, have kids later in life through having kids, through adopting, through surrogacy, through, you know, there's all these different paths. But I just think the more we hear those stories, the more people see that as an example of a life they could live. I do think that everyone has a different path and you really can't plan for it. I remember meeting this, this mom who said to me, I listened to a lot of your work and I, you would be so proud of me. My 18 year old daughter just told me she wanted to be in the music industry. And I said to her, no, that's a terrible career for work-life balance. And I redirected her and I looked at her and I said, I w- why do you think I would be proud of that advice? And she's like, because it's about work-life balance. And I said, what 18 year old boy is hearing that advice from anyone no boys are told go into that career because it's family friendly. And so I think we're doing such a disservice when we don't just say, follow your dreams and your life will work itself out. If you are happy doing what you do, you attract people in your life, you attract abundance. I think that is amazing advice, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for listening to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy. We would so appreciate if you would leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, connect with us on social media at What's Her Story Podcast. What's Her Story with Sam and Amy is powered by my company, The Riveter, at theriveter.co and Sam's company, Park Place Payments, at parkplacepayments.com. Thanks to our producer and editor, Laurel Moglin, our podcast associate, Phoebe Cranefuss, and our male perspective, Lou Burns. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. 
Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and in the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry. The world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 